Just talking about, you know, Amazon merch in general, uh, I found it to be extremely interesting platform, uh, you know, for just for uh, an entrepreneur, you know, a creative individual, any kind of artist. They, if you, I mean, if they can do art and are disciplined to sit down and uh, come up with ideas and, and you know, you, the, there is unfortunately an awful lot of keyword research and trademarking involved. So it's not a free lunch for artists either. Um, well, so nothing, have, nothing is completely just like, Hey, sit down and press the button for money, press the button for money. Well, no. yeah, you know, but you know, sometimes you might think of like, a, Hey, I'm going to design t-shirts. I'm an artist, but there are a lot of more things to it than that. You know, uh, I, uh, I've really, really though, however, have just found it very interesting. Now, they have had issues with um, growth, okay? So, like, if you go right now and apply for Amazon Merch, no one can tell you how long it's going to take before you get in. Uh, it took me eight months. I applied. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, told me about it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds like something I'd be interested in doing. I've always kind of wanted to do a t-shirt business. Um, you know, I just thought it was a good match. And uh, so I I went and applied, and I forgot about it. I really, literally forgot about it. And I was sitting here, you know, doing web development and had several deals in a row that just kind of fell apart at the 11th hour. And I was, I was literally sitting here for um, – you know, about two days trying to figure out what I was going to do next after, you know, I had a big deal fall through. And I was like, okay, so I need to do something productive. And I immediately started thinking about the email acceptance that I got two weeks prior. And I was like, okay, so maybe I need to think about this T-shirt thing. And then just like out of the blue, I get a phone call from a friend of mine. And he is, he's talking about, uh, the uh, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather fight, and he wants to do a, a 49 and one shirt with like the Irish flag, you know? And uh, I was like, well, you know, that's, that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> I said, it's actually legal because you're not using any their name. You're not doing anything, you know? And uh, so I tried that out, but once we got to look into it, there were trademarks, which I found out uh, just a few days ago, Floyd Mayweather actually trademarked uh, 49 and one and 50 and 0, or definitely 49 and one he trademarked. I think he also was the 50 and 0. Um, just in case, either way. Yeah, you know, he's a businessman, very prudent businessman. Um, but that's how it kind of got going. So, you know, uh, it didn't work out. It really didn't work out great uh, because I only sold a couple of those initial shirts. But then the creative juices got to going into flowing and I started coming up with lots of other stuff and just basically I looked up and you know it's a couple months later and I'm like wow Amazon merch works <laughs> you know put in the work put in the time it's uh it's not going to make you rich quick and I see you know I'm in a lot of the merch groups now and uh I see lots of people give up really quick and, and you know rightfully so because I I think I sold around uh 20-ish shirts my first month in, which is not great, but I mean, to me, it wasn't a lot of money or anything, but it was, uh, 
when I realized that there were a lot of people in the groups that were quitting because they hadn't sold a single one in two months, I'm like, wow. But yet you'll see another person and they'll dwarf what I've done, you know? And, and you're just wondering, well, someone's good at something or someone knows a niche real well, you know, because that's what that's about. Find a niche, know your, know the person, know what's going to make them tick, put a cool shirt in front of them, uh, know your keywords so they can actually find it. Yeah, so it sort of combines your artistic, your creativity, your imagination, and your long experience with research and marketing. So it's really, I think it's a great fit. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's fun, too. I mean, who doesn't like coming up with witty things that make people laugh? One of the best things that happens is when I put my shirts out, someone will say something about it. And it's just kind of you get the same feeling from art. You know, if you're doing a painting or, or, or anything, you know, doing a sculpture, it, it's kind of pointless if no one ever sees it and when they do see it it's kind of fun because some people will engage you and uh, or not get it i mean sometimes they don't get it and you kind of like didn't understand why they didn't get it but now you see why they didn't get it yeah well i should have been a little more blatant or yeah refining it and going going for it again that creativity and that analytic ability combined is very powerful i think i think it's a great thing i think uh I think you come up with some great ideas. I really like that polyhedral one. I like that's my favorite, so I like that one. Uh, even though it's, <laughs> that's a long story, but the poly, polyhedral uh, is now the polyhedral T-shirt. Polyhedral. Matter of fact, that's a new shirt right now. I can guarantee you, I'm going to make a dude named Polyhedral. He's going <laughs> to very strange shaped head. Yeah, that's great. When I'm writing that down, bam created right here in the flow uh another creative or is it accidental creative jam session yes that's what it just turned into do you like wearing clothes at least some of the time do you enjoy wearing clothes whose entire category is named after a letter of the alphabet can you guess what this type of clothing is called? Can you? Can you guess? No, it's not t-shirts. Those are real. Tonight, be the first to learn that Fakeco is not introducing H-shirts. H-shirts and clown shoes? Clown shoes? Is that how the shape of an H? What? Who comes up with these things? Look, I have a secret to tell you. This is not a fake sponsor read. Well, yes it is. There is no sponsor, so it's a fake sponsor, but it's more of a secret unpermissioned sponsor that only I know about, and now you know about. There's actually a way you can support the staff of this podcast. Purchase one of the many fine, highly designed, very imaginative t-shirts produced by Calvin Seymour. Just go to HTTPS, colon slash slash www.amazon.com slash s slash ref equals w underscore bl underscore sl underscore s underscore ap underscore web underscore seven one four one one two three zero one one question mark ie equals utf eight ampersand node equals seven one four one one two three zero one one ampersand field dash B-R-A-N-D-T-E-X-T-B-I-N equals capital T-E-E 
plus sign capital P A R T Y plus sign capital C O M P A N Y plus capital L capital L capital C. You know, tonight is officially the interview with a Calvin episode, which is the, to me, it's the origin of my desire to create a podcast with you because uh, I was sitting around one day and I was like, I want to talk to Calvin about some things and I need, I need, uh, I I don't know, not record it, but I just like, I had a bunch of questions, like just like things I could ask him about things that has happened over the years something to come back and visit them uh, and explore them further um, I don't know if we'll get to everything uh, I have on my list two things um, the first one is this some of the game systems you've created this is this is the combination of imagination and, and analytics that I think you're really good at uh, that especially the, the I don't know if it's the most recent one because you're always creating them but the one that had the different size dice and it was very slow to ramp up um, to get to the next level but within the actual playing and rolling you could actually go f- like if you got so, so if you roll two d6s and you got two sixes then it becomes an extra success right it becomes a, yeah, another except- one yeah, yeah. I, I really like that one because one of the problems that we, I think we, we all had, a lot of people have had it with the, the D20 type system is the extremely large range of one to it's 20. It's super random. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a huge swing. And uh, especially at the lower levels for a character that it really impact odds. It becomes when really you don't want randomness to be messing with your storytelling and your character development. Cause there's really, they're they're early, they're early on, and, and sort of fragile. You've got these just the the world, um, the randomness being the the large the biggest factor in, in what determining what, yeah, what you happens. You want there to be some chance, but not too much chance because you want kind of a tight window. At least me, like one of my favorite things since I was young, uh, uh, it was a good kung fu movie, right? And I love how. In the kung fu movies, you could have one guy that could just obliterate eight guys, and then he turns around, and then eight of him couldn't beat this other guy. You know, there were just clear levels in the way everything was uh, portrayed and stylized. And it's like, you know, if you put the feather on the on the camel's back, it was just enough to make him untouchable compared. You know, in weight, you know what I mean. And that's a bad analogy, but what I was trying, what I'm trying to say is that. It did, you know. Once you crested that next level, there was a big difference. It's yeah. It's sort of like uh, you can become enlightened, right? Uh, th- that is very, especially the kung fu. It's like at some point you become ah oh, epiphany, uh, enlightenment. You become uh, uh, wiser, and then you uh, are able to do something you couldn't do just moments before because of that inspiration. So you do indeed level up and become almost untouchable. Um, that that is definitely something that is hard to reproduce when you've got you've got a plus three, plus one to twenty, one to twenty, somewhere in there, uh, you know. And you expect expected value is ten or close to it, but the uh, you know you can't really land on that. You can't depend on that. So you get a bunch of 
difficulty in storytelling. And some people like the the because you know in some in some way it is a lower level character is at the whim of the world. So that makes sense. Uh, you know, large swings and and chants can have large impact. But if you're trying to tell a story or go somewhere specific or somewhere in an area take the characters and have the players have fun it is definitely a challenge um so can you can you talk a little bit about i don't know if you remember it well enough that we yeah. can just talk about it but can you describe because i know that you know yeah. you've got all the dice you've got d4 d68 d10 d12 d20 and those apply to attributes or something so well, go ahead uh, you know i am a student of polyhedral university i have uh <laughs> I, uh, so I said that you're, you're like you're a teacher you're a professor there. I am I'm now the professor there okay so uh, yeah so I sat down and and I my goal was to create dice that, that gave a good superhero style of combat okay and to me superheroes are also something like the Kung Fu that's extremely kind of like you know once you're with that one level up in strength, you know, it's a difference between Luke Cage and, and, you know, uh, Thor, right? So, you know, there's a difference between Thor and Hulk in in terms of, in in these different classifications. So I wanted a system that could be really tight, but the problem with most of the systems is that they were kind of wide um, in randomness and they didn't have that kind of threshold uh, that could could really you know make a big change. Now, if you look at like there's one game called Mutants and Masterminds, and it's D20, but they did away with some of the things that uh, that made it not work for a superhero game. And and one thing that they basically had was uh, you know you to get knocked out, you you're basically having to fail saves. You know they have to exceed that number by like five, I believe. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but that you, you start getting your accumulative minus ones until you're just out of there, right? So effectively, they are taking away the big range, one to 20, and kind of making it like, you've got you've to not just beat it by one, but yeah. by five or something, which really... And then ne- that's going to give you like a negative one. Yeah. And then that means the next time you're, you're going to fail by a little more, you know? And so that's how they built their system. And I still never liked it because really it just seemed like uh, same thing, you know. So what I what I noticed one day – oh, hold on. <laughs> uh, cut that whole little section out. Okay. Uh, so what I noticed one day was that um, while just sitting kind of throwing dice – that just how tight it was like if you threw what I, what I was trying to do was like how many times how many dice when I throw them with four would it take me to beat a certain number of dice when I threw sixes like you know like how, how often and how hard is that to do you know I just I started trying to get into the statistics of it and now I realized uh, that it was really it was pretty hard if you get into the real random numbers two tens will beat like six sixes all day long you know i mean it, every, but but being true to the you want them to have a chance six sixes will come up and smack a 2d10 every now and then so even though you might be a 2d10 skilled fighter which means you get a lot of talent but 
you know, not a lot of skill or learn, you know, knowledge, uh, you know, from the ability score that might draw on that skill, you know, uh, you you would have a hard time, uh, you know, being beat by a guy using D6s because it was a good level. But, you know, if a guy's D8s and you're D10s, it gets a lot, it gets a lot more manageable. You know, I'm no uh, statistician, but um, just playing and, and actually researching the numbers, I, I, I just really realized how much it really worked and so we started t- play testing it running a spy game uh had you know had a lot of guys uh you included that were um kind of interested but you guys didn't realize you were really in a superhero world i just didn't tell you because you guys were playing him high counter agent world and uh i started even though i kept trying to play a superhero i wasn't I was not yet a superhero, apparently, because <laughs> because I felt it. I felt that this is a superhero system, but low level non superhero really characters. Yes, I, I I call I recall that. Well, um, so you know, doing the play tests, we you know I think you agree. We realized that it was really good at keeping the scoring tight. Like, you know, you might be the kind of guy that's going to generate a five or a six or a seven mostly but every now and then you crest over and you get that eight and real rare you get that nine or that ten result right and this was this was done through the unique way of rolling the dice and taking the high you take the highest die uh and any if you have two of the die below it you get a plus one or two more of that dice will give you a plus you know each one of those will give you a plus one yeah so so if you had a target number of like 10 and you're rolling d6s um yeah. you need to re, you need to be rolling at least foot four of them to have a chance uh well it, like just the easy math on this is that if you um if you roll say six sixes the maximum you can roll if, they, if all six turned up sixes uh would be an 11. Okay. And, uh, but you'll never probably see an 11, though you might kind of get close. You might see a nine, mm-hmm. you know? So what was what? So two sixes, obviously taking the highest dice. You've got six sixes, then the highest is six. But with the, the duplicates at the highest level, it means you bump it up one level. So two sixes is really a seven, and three sixes is really a eight, and so forth like that. Yeah. Yeah, so like in this same scenario, six sixes is an eleven, right? Right. Uh, but um, statistically unlikely. But yes, four sixes and two fives is a ten. And so you know, it basically kind of give you gives you that chance. But just the same with all those six sixes, you're very likely to roll like four threes and then a one and a two or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of result happens all the time. And then that also became seven. So it was just really good at kind of getting you into those general range numbers that you were trying to, and you would, you know, miss or fail by one ish real tight numbers. And this made, uh, this made the, kind of specialties really really matter because I was kind of giving you uh, you know you had a lot of skill points to, to flesh your character out but when you flesh the character out using skill points um, you've got to 
that that allows you to add the, to the numbers of dice you were using, while your ability scores told you what size die you were using, and then finally specialties gave you guaranteed bonuses. So as you can imagine, a game where where you're typically rolling and getting a five, six, or seven, a plus one becomes man, that's something special. When you say you're a specialist, you really are. Right. And you know. Uh, I think the max specialties at like the highest levels you'd have would be three by the system, you know, as, as it was being used. So the, the best thing about this system that I've, I experienced was that it seemed to play well at the low level and at the high level because, and the difference between them, because someone who's, uh, at the low level, they're, you know, they're getting threes and fours and fives. And you set uh, your target, you know, target number is five, you know, right? and I'm rolling D4s. Well, that's possible, and I, I, might, I might get that. Uh, and then you, you bump it up a few bits, five, six, seven. I need D6s and D8s to have good chances. And then that, so that's a totally different level than someone who's up at the D12 with four dice and D20 with three dice. Yeah. And well, they're I think we clearly b- better. And, and what was really cool is that when you sat down to roll your character, you weren't likely to have maybe one of them. I mean, I think in the party that we had, only one person had a D12 and didn't have two. Or maybe there was one that had one and two, one guy that had two D12s. And pretty much whatever stat you put that in, you're just, you were fun. If you've got a D12 in it, you're the best in the world at it, you know? And, uh, you know that I found that really interesting. I just kept waiting for the system to not work at some point or level, but I, all I had to do was have an agent with slightly better numbers than the entire group, and he became a viable challenge. You know, not so much where he was just walking all all over everyone, but like he was a serious problem for everybody. You know, and 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 uh, only the extra attacks were making it even. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really, uh, as far as that game goes, I'm sure we'll revisit that at some point in time because it just really worked well. Yeah, I really like that system, and it, it, I, I would like a list of rules at some point uh, because that that was fun to play, and I bet it would be fun to run because it it would allow me a lot of control over the story uh, without really controlling the characters you know it's not like I'm saying or, or arbitrary no that didn't happen or yeah. <clears throat> fake successes or fake failures or anything like that uh, it would be I think really interesting to uh, see formalize those rules and, and do those um, because that's really what the part I like is the creating the world and, and doing the story and, and seeing the, the players have fun create their creating their own stories so let's uh, so tell us a little about one of your worlds. I know. Um, All right, you're know. gonna skip. You're gonna skip ahead, right? All right. So the the second well, I'm part. I'm not looking at any game plan. If I should be, let me know because <laughs> I thought we, we this just tur- total uh, turned into a total wing it session. Yeah. Um, uh, so the show notes do, do have the two sections. One is the game systems we just talked about, and I think you you talked about your my, what I think is my favorite one that you've created, and the second one was going to be a section about favorite game setting. That we both created. Well, and you're supposed to go first, but since you just talked a bunch about your system, I will talk a little bit about my uh, my favorite, which is only the one the one I did most extensively, and it was 15, 14 years ago. So it still it still resonates with me, which is about uh, a character called 
Tridex or Trifax. It actually kind of evolved over the years. But uh, the the story was the, the characters uh, sort of fall into this thing, but uh, it's basically a thousand years uh, that has passed since this kingdom was founded. And... It actually was like 999 years since the kingdom was founded. And the kingdom was a gift from dragons uh, to a certain bloodline, the, the Trifax bloodline. And uh, they only gave a thousand year lease, basically. And to renew the lease, you, the, one of the Trifax bloodline had to come forth and basically justify why they should have it renewed. Uh, and the characters found themselves smack into a bunch of intrigue about everything I just said because the bad news was 700 years ago the bloodline had apparently died out uh, and so they were like they didn't, they didn't know what to do um, but so a bunch of spoilers lots of things happen they, they discover a bunch of this but the, the spoiler parts is that uh, the dragons gave the gave the world to the, the, the this, these people um, because they owe them. They owe them something uh, for teaching the dragon something. Specifically, they taught them how to cure a particular disease. And they cured that disease by mis- mixing human blood, really this Trifax guy's blood, with dragons. Uh, and the disease they cured, so it's all kind of spoilers, the disease they cured was eternal life. Like the dragons uh, couldn't die. And they would just basically they'd go to sleep and it looked like a disease because they would just give up on life uh, even though they wouldn't die couldn't couldn't die wouldn't die and so the, the quote eldest dragon went around looking for ways to cure this came across this tribal leader uh, and he showed no fear uh, but he was immortal and the eldest dragon was wise and figured out the problem was with the dragons was that they were eternal and the way to cure them was basically give them just a pinch just a bit of mortality make them killable they will die at some point uh, so they become mortal and by mixing they also made this this particular guy have extremely long life um, so and and thanks for this this uh, cure, you know, which of course dragons were super powerful and smart, especially the eldest dragon. And this tribal leader was just he's just <clears throat> basically a, a guy. Uh, they said here here's a thousand thousand years of having a land that we carve out for you and enjoy. And we'll be back in a thousand years, and if you can justify having it for another thousand years, uh, let me know. But it's got to be you, your descendants, your the bloodline. Um, and that was repeat indefinitely. 300 years pass and there's some intrigue and the uh, the king, the same guy, who's, of course, because he's been basically infected with dragon blood and he, he has got a super long life. He's had a, a child who is also his bloodline, also has a super long life. And the people sort of rebel against him and betray him. And he realizes that since he is uh, since he can he can be killed physically he's not like you know immune to anything he owes it to his people to basically pretend like he's dead and uh, go off in hiding so he does that uh, and his daughter <clears throat> who's also the super long life goes off uh, as well but she doesn't 
she doesn't have a good life. She basically becomes evil. And she thinks people are bad. And so, go back to year 999. Uh, the big bad guy is the daughter, a super high-level druid compared to them, uh, who has a bunch of powers and a bunch of time laying out uh her plan to have the dragons come and destroy this land by basically not advocating for uh, the the land. Twist, the dude's still alive. Uh, The party has to go find him, and they do find him, uh, and they bring him back, and they manage to get him to say, hey, don't don't destroy the land. It's still good. that's the basic gist of it and that took several years to work through all of that and uh, there's some more background like when the dude decides to die he gets tricked by the by the people who end up being the king for the next 700 years uh, and there's a, a nice story I wrote I think it's a pretty good story about how his 300 um, basically they get ambushed by uh, goblins and orcs and they have to <clears throat> fight their way out and they're probably going to uh, be all killed and so there's just like the king and his last five or six people and his head bodyguard decides that he's going to pretend to be uh, the king so that he can come out and be killed in front of everybody and he's going to he's going to quote send back one witness so that and he sort of tricks the guy you know because the ego is going to send back one witness to the glory of uh, the orcs and goblins and stuff. And he ends up sending away the, the king, who then realizes, because he came so close to death, that he has to basically go into hiding and pretend he's dead. Time passes. The druid, the, the daughter uh, becomes bitter because of the lack of family and becomes an evil druid who works to destroy humanity, becomes to hate humanity because she is betrayed, betrayed by him. Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you something real quick. So uh, I actually remember encountering this character just playing with you once. I do believe that's who it was anyway. The uh, druid, right? Yeah, probably one time. Yeah, or that's why it was a few times. Um, so what is the significance? Why is a druid the character I mean why did you choose like to make him uh, you know a druid what, what was the rationale behind that alright so a druid in the rules we were playing at the time which was D&D 3.0 3.5 they had to be neutral uh, and usually people take that as like neutral good neutral evil uh, and not, not not neutral good not neutral evil they take it for the like lawful neutral or something like that so I picked them as neutral evil because it had to be that uh, was just a requirement so I just sort of combined those two but I don't know if there's a particular reason other than druids were sort of flexible and if, when they're really powerful like they're high, much higher level they have a bunch of things they can do uh, they can they, you know they can hide their alignment or they can turn into animals uh, you know so they can be surprised the donkey that you've been with this whole time is actually the evil not a main, spoiler. Main already. character. Right. No, no spoiler there. Yeah. And uh, it was. It also sort of fit into my political setup where there was this like a parallel political system which of druids, which they had this domain. And it sort of it sort of came out that uh, the 
the Druids had individual domains and why can this Druid just do this and have all this wiped out? It's because the Druid rules were that within a particular domain, the head Druid of that domain was paramount. They didn't, as long as they followed the rules and stayed within their particular uh, little area of the world, they had no rival. They had they had nobody could tell them anything, and it just so happens not just so happens because she had many 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 decades and centuries to maneuver to do it. But she her land was the land that she, of of the of the dragon land. It was the Kellyar land, the dragon gift land that was uh, the one she wanted to wipe out. So that she so you know there was this multi druid political intrigue going on as well. So I don't know if druids really fit in that uh, other than they have the sort of connection to a higher power that's not really like it's, gods it's and stuff. Odd. It's kind of odd because I, I was trying to think if I ever really had druids as like the bad guys. I always kind of think of a druid as being kind of you know nature which just made them even though they were supposedly neutral they were still kind of more on the good side than the bad side. Yeah it speaks a little bit to the industrialization like if you think people are people humans are bad for the environment right you can see how a druid would be like uh it's sort of extremist as far as environmentalists were concerned you know people putting spikes in trees uh to prevent them from cutting them down you know terrorists like that like like that right uh the eco-terrorist uh, that that is sort of the inspiration there that she was an, an eco terrorist and she wanted to wipe out humanity, uh, but she didn't couldn't because of the rules really she couldn't commit genocide herself like you know you can't you know, she's a she's a druid she can't just go and kill all the mice uh, she still has to respect that so she sort of finds found, found loopholes in the rules to serve her evil over over purpose. Um, so she was very, she was neutral evil in a sort of a lawful type political system where she kept having to use the system against itself to for, to progress her evil plans. Um, what that did ultimately as a storytelling, storytelling tool was meant that the people, the, the, the players at level one didn't get just wiped out immediately, right? That she had to act behind the scenes and could slowly reveal herself and the plans become slowly revealed over time. Uh, and so a greater threat becomes revealed, a greater threat becomes revealed until ultimately the, the, the thing they see on the very first game, which was the dragons arriving at the capital to announce in Draconic, which scares everybody, uh, senseless that hey time's come you've got basically a year before we wipe out everything unless you can t- justify why we shouldn't so then they may have have a year to figure out the, the whole the plot and what's going on um, and, and it, having having the nature aspect to it just seemed to fit as far as uh, the slow reveal the long term <laughs> giant time scales seemed yeah. to fit nature the only time I had an evil druid sect, uh, I was kind of getting to this, is uh, because they weren't all evil, but part of them had become tainted and were basically werewolves. Uh, and uh, I, I thought that was uh, that was that was a lot of fun. I really liked that because even in my mind, how I would treat them as being natural, 
you know, werewolves are evil, but they're kind of like a natural evil, you know? <laughs> right. You know? A disease, yeah, I sort of, you can yeah. take it that way. A magical taste to it, but yeah. Right. And uh, I had a lot of fun playing playing with that. Um, uh, I actually got that idea from an episode of Thundar the Barbarian. Um <laughs> You know, showing my roots there, but uh, you know the episode where um, all these this circle of wizards all become turned into werewolves, and uh, you know they were wizards there, but I thought it fit my little, what my needs, and they became a druid sect in mine, and uh, I thought it was quite it was really really worked well. It made for some good villains for a while, you know. Nothing like nothing like having villains that you can't uh, tell if they're human or not, you know, that can walk among you. Those are always those are fun villains. Especially, you know, if you've got a inexperienced group of players or anything like that that, that don't see it coming. Uh yeah, yep. That was that was I, I had a lot of fun running that game. Uh you know, I don't know how much I fooled my players into thinking I had it all planned out at the beginning because I would make large, large strategic decisions on the fly and then just stick with it. Um, but some of it was the best pieces were when I took those randomly generated pieces from the game and then projected them out uh, and really put some depth into them and then that sort of became reality in the in the in the game world, and then continued on, and more stuff would come on. And as long as you could keep everything straight and consistent, and uh, not not uh, fudge the fudge the numbers too much, then I think it really works because it really becomes a plot that that is very interesting. It can be as re- revealed, and yet it seems like it's really personal because they have all those personal elements that they've contributed that really uh, laid out the plot to some degree, the, the large pieces directionally, the plot. Uh, I believe I believe in the very first game, um, I killed a character. And I killed, actually I killed two characters. They... Uh, it was raining, right? And this was this is all part of the nature sort of came from this. Um, so the, the river was flooded and the bridge was out. And uh, they decided they were going to cross the river. And then 3rd edition and 3.5, I think it was just 3rd edition at that point, the drowning rules were quite severe. And so they just headed out to this super flooded river without any real skill at level 1. And they basically drowned. Two of the characters drowned. And uh, one of the players was just like, no... Uh, so what I did was I was like, okay, so I killed you, and it's not going to be called. It's got to call something that you're you're dead. Uh, and unlike you, I think I actually do allow resurrections, but not not without cost. So I, the characters are dead, and I basically told them about the both players was like, okay, so you're 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 dead. Your spirit is floating, uh, about to pass beyond recovery, but there is a. A voice, I forget how to describe it, but there's an option that if you accept something, some cost that, you, that I'm not going to reveal to you right now, you can be resurrected. Um, and one of the characters, one of the players had their character accept that, and the other player did not have their character accept that. So, accept that. So, 
of the people who died. I think four four characters. Uh, half of them died in the first adventure, and one of them accepted the resurrection. Uh, and the other one went on and did not, and he got a new character. Well, they, they played the rest I, of the time. I would have to say I, I don't really disallow resurrections as much as I make. You know, you can't just. There's not some guy waiting in town to resurrect you every time you die. You have to make an effort. Hey, let's get this guy resurrected. You have to make it part of the adventure. Uh, I do not, however, very rarely let a player have that ability. And if I do, I usually put a very heavy negative consequence to it to make them say, hey, yes, I have this power, but uh, I need to use it extremely sparingly. You know, so it's got to be for a great cause. And I can, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, I know I used to make that, I used to make the caster uh, lose two con points permanently. Uh, right. One thing I used to do. Well, so if he, in, this case, right, in this case, it was uh, it was the rogue. He was a classic. He's not that type of rogue. Rogue. Uh, he just it took it took like six levels, but uh, and the 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 thing I put on him was sort of like a geese, where if there's a command word spoken, it basically takes gets under the control of the bad guys. Uh, and it just sat out there the whole time, hanging over his head. He didn't know what it was. And and one time he encountered the really bad guy, because this is another advantage of having a high-level druid, is that they can resurrect. I mean, it's sort of like you, you sort of can change which race and the stuff. It might, you might come back as an elf. Basically, it's not it's not resurrection so much as it's reincarnation. I believe it's actually called reincarnation. But... Uh, so that was I like I needed a high level character doing this that had at least theoretical ability to uh, resurrect. So the uh, it did come out about I don't know a year later. He had to fight. He started fighting for the other team just randomly, not randomly. It, it was dramatic, but the uh, that that was the cost and uh, the 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 one who did not take the resurrection actually played a ranger from then on and. I think you really enjoyed it. We went from a, a warrior to a ranger. I think you really enjoyed playing a ranger from then on. Uh, so, yeah, so a resurrection, that's a, that's a philosophy in itself to you, because it really uh, it helped helped me the rest of the game, the rest of the adventure that the players knew I would, I would kill off the characters. I mean, that especially as they get more invested in them, the, the fact that I had had the opportunity and uh, to, to kill, kill, kill them off there at the beginning. Uh, that helped helped the That's storytelling. A tool. Just ask George R. R. Martin. Uh, you know, if you, to me, like you know, as far as like game masters when they're playing, fudging the dice a little. I usually don't do it. I, I, I try to let the dice really dictate things. I mean, I have. Everyone does, you know, as, because you want to guide dramatic moments. Because at the end of the day, you want it to be, you want the players to uh, experience this world and have a dramatic impact in it, you know. So yeah, there's some of that, but usually, um, I, I know you've played with me a long time now and you know uh that's why a lot of times i would just roll the rolls right in front of everybody because you know it is what it is i i i I kill people quite often in the games and it's because of that because the randomness that's in the rolls is very high and uh i just want people to 
you know, hey, you know, use your brain a little bit because this is, you know, it, there has to be serious threat or people aren't, aren't as tied to it. You know, they're not. I mean, I can remember some nights when everybody was deathly afraid, you know, in a game and it was really palpable, like, you know, in the real world while you're playing, which was cool, you know? Yep. Yeah. And they, uh, once you establish that, it, you don't have to. <laughs> it's like, um, I, I won't go into an analogy or whatever, but it it helps the game be more enjoyable if there's actual risk of a favorite character being killed uh, or there being consequences to their actions rather than just like it's always going to turn out right or I have I have no control over anything is the other side of that like no matter no matter what I choose the story is going to progress in this direction that's almost as bad or maybe it is just as bad yeah and uh you know, I've had certain players that get caught in that random loot and they think I've got a vendetta against them. I'm like, you know, no. It's just some, <laughs> some players are um, less risk, risk, are, risk takers, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think the, the thing is, it's true in war. I mean, I've seen lots of documentaries where, you know, guys could say this, you know, they, they'd, they'd meet a guy and they'd say he's not going to be alive for a week because he was too courageous, you know? And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the same trait that gets you killed in an RPG where, you know, where the dice really are mattering, you know. Next question is to you. What is your favorite game setting that you've made? Okay, um, we will get to that. But Q, yes, Q. Okay, put a Q right there. sisters of the continuum have taken me back i'm immortal again omnipotent again swell uh phantasmals week in fantasy art all right uh, yeah hit it let's go let's hit it okay so this week in fantasy art uh i'm gonna i really have one major thing and i'm directly involved yay uh I have been working uh, for a couple months uh, with um, noted fantasy art, uh, artist uh, Matthew uh, Stawicki and uh, have built a website for him. And, uh, you know, the website's pretty cool, I think. Um, I actually came up with something drastically different than this at first, but we, after just a little bit of uh, conversation, we realized that he really just wanted the site. He, he attempted to build on like uh, one of these little, uh, one of these little self build sites, Wix or whatever. And uh, he, he really just wanted that site done professionally. So we went back to the drawing board and I basically created a bigger, cleaner, more powerful version of what he was trying to do. Uh, it's super slick and clean. Uh, no, you know, it's all about the imagery and uh, it launched today. Now, congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it was really awesome. Uh, some of you may that that uh, are in my group or uh, you know fall you know come to my house or whatever may notice I have a dragon painting, like an actual, real 
breathing fire, you know, slagging army dragon, uh, who I affectionately call Trogdor, um, the Burninator, because well, everything in the painting is on fire. And, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to have a really, you know, nice, big, you know, a, a real painting by one of the, you know, probably 30 or so artists that I really, really love, you know, and mass one of them, you know. I just want to take this moment to tell everybody who knows me that I don't have any type of dragon painting. Uh, and I would also like to kind of dragon painting. Just, just throw that out there. <laughs> I, I would also like a dragon painting, just, to, just yeah, saying that. Well, well, you know, you have to do these things. Well, uh, so I, I basically worked for this painting. Uh, we met uh, at a con in Memphis uh, at the uh, science fiction and fantasy con there. And uh, I don't know, things just led, one thing led to another. Uh, I think I kind of always had this in the back of my head where I was, you know, wanted to, you know, do a big swap out because my, you know, my wife wouldn't ever let me buy a very, very large painting. I get by with little small things that I can get every now and then, but nothing like this, you know? And uh, I just kind of always had in the back of my mind, hey, I'll, maybe I can work and get one and it'll it'll be fine by everybody. And that's exactly what I did. Um, talked to Matt. We, it turns out he was in need. And uh, the next thing you know, we were working together. It's a really cool opportunity. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Matt's a super nice guy. Like, I mean, probably one of the most laid back people I've ever dealt with. Now, he is an artist. You know, he's he sees everything. I mean, if you've got something off <laughs> by pixel, he sees it. You know, he's got the eye, uh, which has, you know, been a challenge, but, but super nice and laid back, no pressure, uh, great attitude, just a joy to work with. Um, yeah, you know, I've really enjoyed the experience. And, uh, you know, today's really, really cool day because we get a lot of res uh, feedback and response from people. Um, but, you know, I'd like to uh, point out that Matt has quite a few original pieces left, including Daniel, a dragon or two. Mm -hmm. uh, and he is pretty much a master of said dragon art. You can go to mattstawicki.com uh, and then click on the gallery link and you'll see all his available originals. He's got a really cool piece that's his vision of Atlantis. It's kind of up on the upper right. One he has, uh, which is from uh, Monty Cook Games, uh, The Strange. He has the uh, Ardian Master, or Ardine Master, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Uh, who's kind of a Captain Nemo type. And if you look really closely, you'll realize that that's, that's actually Matt in the painting, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Uh, and, uh, you know, he has some affordable stuff here. This The Black Knight and the Black Queen pieces, they're $300. They're really cool, you know. I like those. Um, there's, uh, you see, are you on the page, Daniel? I am not on the page because I can't spell. You, okay. It's M-A-T-T-S-T-A-W-I-C-K-I.com. Uh, Mattstawiki.com, the art of Matt Stawicki. Okay, so there's uh, there's some uh, hairs beginning on the top of the page, top of the fold, as they say. There's uh, various art. Oh, I like that one, though. It's got good color. I'm, I'm a sucker for bright yellow in my paintings. 
<laughs> want me to buy something, put some bright yellow in there. Really, really sun bright yellow, and I'd be very uh, tempted. He's got a piece in his uh, uh, on the gallery. If you well, not on the gallery. If you click on the store link, I, have clicked, I have clicked on the store link. Yeah, and then just a few down, you'll see there's a big bright yellow castle. <laughs> it's from a book, uh, DNAgers. Um, yeah, I see it. He's, yeah. got, he's some really cool pieces. You see, uh, he's got a dragon there, dragon flight piece. Uh, that's kind of a, a neat piece. He has a piece very similar to the one I got. Uh, if you scroll way down, you're, there's one called the Rescue, and the one I got is called Wrath of Dragons, and it was done for a board game, uh, and just you know, a magnificent piece of this this dragon. Mm, I see the rescue, yeah. Yeah, so the rescue is very similar to what I have. You know, it has a giant castle behind him. Uh, you know, the entire uh, wall or moat or whatever he's on there is on fire, and they appear to be running off with the princess, right? Uh, well. You know, this dragon, he's not quite Trogdor. He only has the, the, the wall on fire. And, you know, in my piece, he's everything's on fire. The, 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 the stuff behind the wall, the people in front of the wall, the towers above them. Uh, you know, I'm it's pretty amazing. sure this is a spoiler for next week's or the week after that's Game of Thrones. Is this uh, the <laughs> rescue? Uh, yeah, hey, look, uh, we, we, we've been kind of getting out of doing what's cool, but we can, you know, that's really all I had for fantasy art this week was Matt's launch of the site. But if you let's talk Game of Thrones for just a second. <laughs> uh, so we are now officially from almost everything past the books. So there's so I spent most of my time watching the show being a <laughs> a book reader. So I knew I knew a lot of things that were not necessarily on explicitly on the screen, motivations behind. So it's been odd for me to transition from a book reader watching a show to, you know, just a show show watcher. Or right. when they when someone smiles or does something, you don't have the point of view or some or somebody else's uh, or some other source of insight into what they're thinking there. Um, so it's it's been it's been interesting transitioning. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, super. Uh, that, that was me with Walking Dead because I read the comics up to about issue 100, and uh, then I just decided the show was just to me was very good. I, I know some people don't like it that much, but uh, to me, I just really loved the show so much that I actually gave up reading the stuff because I wanted to experience not knowing. You know, and they're just now getting to the stuff where I, that I ended on. So I really have no clue where they go after Negan. I mean, I really don't know what comes. So I'm kind of excited for that myself. So I can kind of get that. Yeah, and I think uh, they've they've sort of transitioned from, uh, and this is a little bit of spoilers, but it's from like last year. So just just be aware. Uh, so. So when they just basically chopped off the Doran storyline uh, and said, and said whatever, all this set up, just never mind. We're just going to kill a dude and we're going to go be done with that. That's how I interpreted all that. Uh, it, it really, is, some, some people say, yeah, that's good. We're accelerating and getting rid of these, these long, meandering storylines. Yes, they end up somewhere, but we don't necessarily 
aren't a major part of the plot, um, which is which is fine. But since I enjoy the show so much, I don't I don't mind those. But uh, I think the show is a little bit different in tone than uh, in the current season than in, in the first season. It's it's really a different show, and there's some consistency. I wouldn't say problems, consistency differences. Uh, so some of the things that maybe. And again, I can't separate this from the haha, I knew thing from the book, but I, I knew that, uh, I, I, and now I wonder if if some things that were headed in one direction uh, were going to reinterpret them and, and head off or just go in a different direction because we want to get to the end faster. Well, basically, that's for sure happening. You can tell the quickening of the pace. Like, I can't remember a time where you would watch an episode and, you know, spoiler alert, you might want to turn away if you haven't watched the first two episodes of Game of Thrones yet this season. But, um, like, this season when uh, – was it Huron Greyjoy? Is that right? Am I pronouncing that right? Huron, Uh, yeah. Yeah, when he, you know, episode one, he makes a promise to get a prize. I can't think of a a similar situation where in Game of Thrones, the very next episode, you know, ha-ha, he's there doing what he said. You know, it just seems to me like usually they took their time a bit more, you know. Uh, Yeah, they were following the books. I mean, you can think Drogon, right? I mean, if if we were doing what we're in this – if we were doing – what we're doing now in this season, in season one, how much? I mean, I mean, Daenerys has her Dothraki horde, right? So she went through a lot of stuff to get there, uh, and, and so she, I mean, she's had chances to have a Dothraki horde a few times. So Dothraki, the I, I, I enjoy the slow buildup and the I mean the slow revelation of of this and the slow resolution of things. That's that's enjoyable to me. So I really like watching all that. But I never I never saw that without sort of already knowing what was going on because I had read the books. So. I don't know if it would have been enjoyable, or now I'm just like I'm missing a subtext, context, a subtext, and it seems more shallow to me just because I don't know these things from the books. So I don't know. It's hard. It's 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 sort of a multi-dimensional changes where they got multi-variable changes because more than one thing's changing at once. They're kicking up the pace. Also, there is no books to be going by. While also. I am, you know, it's hard to sustain a certain quality for seven seasons, which is itself amazing that they they've managed to do that. So, lots of stuff going on there, and yet, super enjoy it, like it, and uh, I think I think there's going to be some dra- dragonating, some burninating going on pretty soon. Well, you know, I am super stoked for this next episode because. You know, again, the spoiler alerts, you just tune this part out and come back later if you don't want to know about the current things or speculation. But, uh, you know, Jon Snow's coming to visit uh, Daenerys. And uh, I actually saw a picture where they were teasing that online a little bit about them landing on the shore. And there's a lot of reasons I think this is very interesting. Not the least of which, you know, the you know, a lot of people suspect that he's, you know, obviously a Targaryen, and that was kind of confirmed, right? You know, almost. So it's sort of like they they all but confirmed it with the whispering and the the flashbacks and stuff. 
but uh, I don't know not the flashbacks, but the observing magically the hit past. The um, yeah, but they didn't quite spoil it. So I, I don't know. That sort of makes it interesting reading the books. Like, oh, they didn't they didn't quite spoil it. So maybe there's yeah. still a possibility it'll be different in the books. Well, maybe so. But he's about to arrive, and there are dragons here. You know, and uh, uh, all and not just dragons. Melisandre is here. Okay, so and Melisandre, if you remember, just got told to you know leave, and if they ever saw her again, they're gonna kill them. And yet Davos and John are walking up on the seashore to see her, see them right now, and she's, they're gonna find her sitting in this court. Yeah. So John banished her and said, if she ever comes north again, he'll have her killed. But Davos right. was more, I think he was more explicit, like, if I ever see you again, I'm gonna kill you. I don't remember right. exactly, but yeah. But so so now they're gonna go up in this court, and she's sitting here waiting on them you know i mean it's going to be very interesting in more ways than one uh i i really can't wait for this episode i think it's this, this one something drastic could happen you know uh i, I think george R. R. martin tweeted uh just a couple days ago or whatever and he was like hey uh i don't know why everybody's waiting for these books they're all going to just be so sad anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah at one point he had put out uh, if you expect this to have a happy ending you haven't been paying attention I believe that's (laughs) yeah you know I don't think anyone's uh, writing I mean the only thing I hope doesn't happen is Cersei win I mean you know I I don't know if you've read the books or if you read it recently but in the books she's much worse uh, as a tactician and a strategist. She, she is she uh, she's basically incompetent. Like she, she, you know, all the all the narration is it's uh, uh, unreliable narrators, right? So she she should think she's great, uh, but all the evidence from other characters when you observe it's that she's just messing things up left and right over and over again. Uh, so she is seems to be much more competent in the show which is fine because she's a great character and a great actor playing a great character in the show. But uh, in the books, it's always been like just she, she does, she makes moves and they don't work out. So I don't, I don't think, uh, and she's caused a lot of heartache and pain for her and her family because, because of those moves. So I, I know, so I, I don't know if, how to reconcile those two. Uh, if she's going to resort, revert to, book form and mess up because she seems to be doing pretty good strategically I don't know I don't know so uh, she, in the book I, I couldn't see her possibly winning because I think she would just she didn't have the, the skill um, to, to maneuver that, that well uh, she's no little finger right so uh, but the in the show she she could she could at least temporarily come out on top, possibly. I like that you mentioned Littlefinger because the other interesting thing is John has left leaving Sansa and Littlefinger, who, by the way, if you haven't been paying attention, has pretty much been the guy winning this Game of Thrones. You know? He's the guy that's been winning since day one, if you ask me. Yeah, he has been using his skill, uh, his skills, and his little speech about, you know, Chaos is a ladder, and you can climb it, and, or whatever, all that stuff. I forget exactly, but uh, the he is an expert Game of Thrones player, and he is not dead, so he must be, and he's playing it, so he's he's, he's doing pretty good. They just spent 
two episodes showing you Littlefinger not saying hardly a word leaning against the wall and watching and that hasn't been the most terrifying thing I have seen in this show (laughs) I'm like this man realizes that his plans are just right there they're just right within his grasp and I think you know they had the big scene with him and John and, and, and the confrontation that happened there I think that was really setting the stage because I think those are your I think that that's who's going to be kind of around in the end I think it's going to come back down to a some kind of betrayal sense of you know they've been they, it's probably not a betrayal of sense of betraying John as much as her getting manipulated into something that that probably doesn't favor John due to little fingers mechani- mechanizations you know mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I think so I, I, that's possible absolutely possible uh, but I'm looking for a, if the student becomes a master uh, types of turn around there they where, certainly made her into like the mirror image of Cersei even the hairdo, she had a Cersei-like hairdo. Yeah, going on. That, that, that's that's definitely on purpose. Uh, and she's got some allies, and there's a the wild card. Uh, the, the Arya is is on the way there or in that neighborhood. So, uh, and all that stuff about the pack and the North remembers and all that sort of stuff. I mean, some of that's fan service, but some of that is also setting up. It, it, it's it's setting it up to be hidden because it just looks like fan service. So I, I'm going to wonder uh, if there's going to be a scene, and this is total speculation. I've not seen any spoilers in any way. It's total speculation. There's going to be a scene where Littlefinger thinks he's got the upper hand on somebody, and there's going to be a knock on the door or somebody leaving, and it's going to be some servant, but not a servant type situation. And it's going to be the sisters back together again. <laughs> 